Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Okay. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of Tiger Pops Podcast. And today, I'm joined by Patty. And Patty has been on podcast before, but let's hear from another introduction from Patty again. Hi, all. Um, I am Patty, uh, and just wanted to let you know that I am a big fan of Midnight Poppy Land. Obviously, I've been on this before, plan to be on this podcast again because it's so much fun. Um, I am from Oklahoma. I'm a counselor, and I'm 35, and I have a husband and two um, fur babies, although the husband could definitely be considered a child sometimes. Um, I love comics. I love concerts. I love reading. um, Lots of different things, so I really appreciate the arts and people who are creative. Uh, I'm also dabbling a little bit in writing myself, so this is a new venture for me, and it was actually inspired by Midnight Poppy Land, so I'm excited to dive into this because I love dissecting things psychologically. You all know this, Um, and so this episode really, really gets to me, and I'm really excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm super excited to talk about it, too, and I just want to, like piggyback of what you were saying that Midnight Poppin' Land has, has inspired some writing for you. And I've seen so many people say that whether they're doing art or whether they're writing fan fiction, that Midnight Poppin' Land mm-hmm. has been the, like the muse that's inspired them to do, to create again. And I know that for myself as well, like, um, you know, I'm by nature a creative person and I was always hoping to work in the creative arts. And then I had to put that aside for now because I have to be practical and I'm doing business. Right. But um, I definitely, I need creative stuff to make me happy. And Midnight Poppyland has 100% brought that back to my life. And I'm very, very grateful for it. It's like a, um, it's like kind of like a life preserver at this point for me. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about everything that we're having to deal with, um, you know, we don't have our social outlets in the same way anymore with COVID and, you know, for me, it was, it, it literally just opened this door to this whole other world because, you know, I'm, I'm very much a uh, left-brained analytical person. And so I never thought that doing anything creative would be in my wheelhouse or even thought it would be worth trying. It was never something that was encouraged for me. And so, you know, just kind of stepping my toe into that pool and trying it out. And now I'm just like, okay, I'm swimming laps around this pool now and I really like it. So um it's, just, it, it's really cool how how other artists can inspire other artists it's it's just so much fun right I'm so surprised to hear you say that because I thought that you would I thought right away that you would be a creative type of person <laughs> uh, I uh I would like to say that but like I, I'm kind of like Tora I I I don't I, you asked me to pick up a a pick up drawing or something like that and I yeah that's not happening you're getting stick figures <laughs> <laughs> okay well we'll we'll come up with some creative stuff here because I think the I think we'll see Tora's guitar here which I'm so curious about but we'll talk about that when we get to it well I know I want to see him play it really really bad I can't I just I honestly cannot imagine him playing guitar I I thought for sure he was joking and then I realized it was actually in his apartment and I'm like what right <laughs> 
Like, okay, he, he has some creature comforts. I know he likes to play video games, but it is also mm-hmm. nice to see that he has some hobbies. Um, but they're also solo hobbies. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it just kind of underscores how lonely he might feel. Right. So getting into the episode, we see right away his apartment, or it was probably his apartment. And it seems to be the same apartment that he was in the first day, the first episode. And it's depressing. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. There's windows all the yeah. high up. And the walls are, it looks like the walls are moldy to me. Right. They look like just straight concrete. Like there's no paint, nothing. I mean, even the light is this like industrial warehouse feel, you know? Right. And you see the um, right. piping. It's just totally not a home. It's like a bare bones structure where he can sleep and maybe get his physical needs taken care of. But his it's not a home there's no warmth there's no soul there's no personality there's no comfort right it's just so drab poor guy Ugh. yeah yeah but i think i remember lily saying something about you know this with with his very minimal lifestyle it just kind of underscores how he doesn't take care of himself like he doesn't feel deserving of having a nice place of having nice things if that makes sense right and he probably also um, the time, you know he, he doesn't maybe have security in his life to know when he'll have to leave this place so why bother right putting, you know decorating right. and investing if you know you don't know if it's going to stay yeah that's very true it's a very transient way of life for sure i mean we don't even know if he has a bed yet still i mean we're what 36 episodes into this yeah does he have a bed right <laughs> Um, and I have to say that as a neat freak I'm like well at least he's neat <laughs> maybe maybe he's neat right I um <laughs> I like things to be clean as well so he's this is another thing his bathroom seems pretty pretty clean I mean bathrooms are places yeah. where many things can go on like I've seen I've seen many bathrooms in my time and, and this one looks clean. not all of them are nice right right well and as we see him walking in like one of the things that struck me and this could be because i'm a military wife but you know when like his boots his his dress and like he he drops that rucksack and i immediately thought of my husband's rucksack Mm -hmm. and i looked at this i was like there's a gun in there like things don't just thunk on the floor what is this what's going on and then, like, he turns on the TV, and there's this news about these high-ranking members that were wounded in a sniper rifle attack. And I was like, oh, my God, he's a sniper. Yeah, as if you know, it had to be him. Right. And, like, as if he didn't have more, you know, just just like how crazy talented he is. You know, I felt like it was a little bit like a Mary Sue, like, oh, he can do this, he can do that. And he can also snipe people from a very, you know, we, the, the reporter tells it's, us that it was very difficult. You know, it was, there were high winds. And um, even without the high winds, it would have been impossible shots, fired from a long distance away through several narrow windows, deadly precision. And what we see is he didn't kill the people. Right. Right. Which, you know, that and that was another clue that that gave it away to me was that if this was anybody else, it would have been a kill shot. No question. But for Tora to fire a warning shot, that makes sense with his character so much because he doesn't. And it reminded me of the very first episode where he was going out to Moonbright to find Goliath. 
and he pulls out his gun and he's like, you better not make me use this thing. And, you know, it, it, it just brought me back to that and thinking like, he doesn't want to do this again. And so of course he would fire a warning shot and not a kill shot. Right. My first thought was that he do this because he didn't want um, now that he's hanging around Poppy and he doesn't want to, you know, he thinks about her and doesn't want to disappoint her in his mind. But it could be both, you know, uh, his, his inherent personality and and the, mm-hmm. what Poppy has done to him. Right. And I think I, I can't remember in terms of the timeline, but does this happen like the same day of the kiss? It's the next day. I also it's it's the, the next day. Next day? Okay. OK. OK, because I, I was going to say that was one hell of a long day then. But um I, you know, it's obviously the like you were saying, the interactions that he's had with Poppy have changed how he feels. And, and you know, he he's been questioning, like, is there another way for me to live? Is there something else out there for me? Um, and, you know, so it would make sense that he wouldn't want to continue doing things the way the clan wants him to. Right. And then we see. So first of all, we see that um, while he's, you know, listening to this TV broadcast, he's impassive mm-hmm. right we don't see any reaction from him he's just washing his face his hands and face which to me is right. symbolic i wash my hands of this he doesn't want to be have blood on his hands he's trying to clean right. off from that and he, yeah he, most definitely he's he's trying to distance himself from it most definitely yeah and we see that he got um he has a message from bobby and he has 20 missed calls from vincent and two messages something vincent is loco like he is he's lost control oh for sure for sure he you know this you know we've kind of seen over the course of the last 35 episodes that you know granted we haven't seen much of him but what we have seen is that he's uh he's got this side to him that he doesn't show a whole lot but i think you know with something like a text message or a phone call he would definitely unleash that. And I know we see that later on in this episode. Um, but yeah, somebody who calls you that many times, you got to wonder. Right. They don't have control over that. They're mm-hmm. reactive emotionally. So just a little bit before yeah. we get into Vincent, because there's so much to talk about there. Um, on the TV, they're saying that these four people have always denied personal association with each other. And this might finally need the evidence we need to pin them down. So this kind of leads to um, a theory that we, you know, a lot of fans have had about <clears throat> is Tora working mm-hmm. as a um, informant for the police? Is he working to bring the clan down from the inside because of his interactions with Lane and his arrest and the fact that he's out now? So we always are looking at like all his activities with an eye to that. Yeah. I mean, I do suspect there is some double agent thing going on here. Um, I've had some sort of a theory that maybe Tora is on probation, which is why he has regular contact with Lane. It would also explain why he's suddenly a bodyguard for Quincy when it's not really what he's he's been part of up to this point. Because I remember that conversation that Claude and uh, Shing Ma were having at the strip club. And he was saying, do you really think that somebody of his caliber would be just a mere bodyguard? Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, clearly there's, there's, there's more to this than meets the eye. Um, and it would make a lot of sense if, you know, up to this point, Taurus seems like he's been thinking about, about removing himself from the clan for a while, but I didn't think he maybe had an option 
but we know that he's been arrested. And so I'm thinking that maybe that was part of it. And that perhaps, um, you know, he's, he's working like you all are saying, like to, to root the clan from the inside out. And we also know that Goliath is not part of his clan and that he never was. And he's always been in an opposing clan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, that, that friendship, I'm sure put him at risk quite a bit, but it would also make sense that it would be in the best interest of both of them to bring down the Balchaman clan. Right. Right. Yeah. That's very, I'm very curious about his relationship with Goliath and, um, Mm-hmm. How much he still, how much he still has that connection with him. So right. this goes into total tinfoil. I think this is we're going to discuss this in a later episode, but more about Goliath and maybe them being possibly in cahoots. That's I, that's like a Facebook comment as well, but it's not relevant to this episode, so we'll keep it out. But I actually okay. I just noticed <laughs> I was looking at this panel. Um, if you see like the panel, um, Torah has his phone on the sink. And then when right. he picks up the phone, so he has the phone in his hand, but the phone is still on the sink. I just noticed that. The two oh, <laughs> oops! <laughs> yeah, I mean, the amount of detail that goes on into this is insane, but it's so cute to catch these little things. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we we all have our days. <laughs> Goodness. Mm-hmm. Um. So, and but one of the things that they say in this panel is that they're keeping a m- much more watchful eye on their activities now, and so this kind of has a twofold effect um, because I think we know that. Tora has been trying to keep Poppy out of the picture here. And if he makes things about, you know, if, if he goes through and makes it about the, the notebook, if he makes it about the, um, the clan war, because we've seen some like hints at a new clan war that's brewing, um, you know, then, then nobody's paying attention to Poppy and nobody's paying attention to his involvement and in what's going on either. So it's, it's a really good tactic and it really shows just how intelligent Torah is you know that people take that for granted yeah and he's willing to, he's willing to exacerbate the pain conflict and put himself into danger rather than bring poppy into this right right yes and so of course we see, we see this text from vincent he is just so irrational and abusive and like he's just rapid fire texting him Right, you effing idiot, pick up your phone, 1015, 1017, capital effing idiot, why couldn't you follow simple instructions, pick up your goddamn effing phone? And again, Tora is not reacting, he's just wiping his mouth, impassive, and this is this is Tora's strength, his ability to show calm and reserve in the face of stress. And then he flashes back, right. we'll see his this quality coming into play for his interaction with Vincent. I'll let you take the lead. Oh, for sure. Yeah, um, when when we go into this, like you can see already with Vincent, he's he's got like this open, and I've seen people do this before when they're sitting like that. You almost feel like they're gonna launch themselves out of the chair. Um, you know, he's he's shaking his legs, he's in a bad mood. He's like, "Don't taunt me, Tora. Now is a very bad time." Right. So um, right. We, so we see that Tora Tora has said notebook. Meaning Tora, Vincent has asked him about the notebook and Tora's playing dumb notebook. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously he's, what's interesting to me is that the facade that Vincent puts on here is starting to break down. Like when he, when he gets very worked up, when his ego is questioned, um, 
he he becomes very volatile and we see that happening like if if you want a dead giveaway that someone is about to uh, do something very violent just look at how their body language he's shaking his leg he's got this like scowl on his face and and also look look at this here torah hasn't moved from the spot in front of the door mm-hmm. he's not getting any closer because he knows exactly what's kind of coming and he's got this like defensive stance with his arms crossed right and he's like well i'm doing what you told me to yeah, and again, and he's in the office. The office is, you know, beautiful and lush, and like the same thing mm-hmm. talked about. Just this veneer of civility and luxury, and like a very corrupt inside. Yeah, well, this next part is utterly symbolic, and I I love it. I think it's brilliant. So Vincent reaches out to this statue of this cherub, this you know, and the cherub is like the symbol of innocence. An angel. He's got wings. He's playing a harp. Supposed to be a picture of harmony, love. Right. goodness everything good and what does he do he reaches out to this beautiful statue yanks it and you know there's so many there's like some close-ups of this innocent child and just smashes mm-hmm. it on the floor crush crush it right not only that but after he throws it on the floor he takes his his um golf club and smashes it to pieces right he's just he's having a temper tantrum of the worst kind um and I just, I found it so interesting that, you know, obviously this is very symbolic and there's lots of metaphors going on here. Um, but this really stood out to me is, is how Vincent destroys anything that he touches that has good in it, or at least he tries to, you know? Um, and, you know, he, you know, that he's smashing this thing. He's like going to town on it as if it's, if it's, it, as if it's like personally affronted him right um and watching like here's this guy in this probably you know two thousand dollar suit having a temper tantrum like a child and taurus just standing there right and you know he's the casually dressed one he's the um he's the dog if you will according to vincent and you know, it obviously he's got to be squirming internally because we the next thing that we see is that he picks up his cigarettes um, and starts smoking. But you know, it just you you can tell that this is not the first time that Tora has seen uh, Vincent go ballistic like this, and it also makes me worry. You know, has he been has he been has he been abusive in that way to Tora physically? I'm sure he. Um, yeah. And to me, one of the most striking things is that Torah is able to, Torah has self-control. He just, he's able to be right. there impassively and it's a complete distinction to Vincent who has no control. And Vincent destroys innocent things in his lack of control and Torah restrains himself. To me, right. the, the statue is a symbol of, um, you know, Torah. Torah has, Torah is, was this innocent child who was ruined by Vincent. And here he mm-hmm. is and Vincent's doing it again right in front of him and Torah can't react because he knows if he reacts, he's done for or he'll some right. reaction. Right. And we know at this point now that um, Taurus smoking has a lot to do with his anxiety and how, and coping with it. And of course we see that he does a lot of smoking around Vincent um, and, and no wonder, you know, it's like the one thing that he can do to ground himself when he's experiencing this totally violent and manipulative man. Um, and, you know, you just see, like, God, the, that panel where Vincent is saying, you haven't found out anything about the notebook, have you? Like, just the 
first of all, he's got a vein popping out on his forehead. He's totally disheveled. Um, you know, his jaw is clenched. He's completely out of control, which is, it's when, when you look at that, and I know we talked about this just like 20 minutes ago, um, look at that versus the very quaffed, um, you know, controlled, tempered person that we saw in episode five. It's just, it's interesting to see this other side of him. So this is the side that Tora has seen his entire life. Right. And Vincent, he puts on a front both to the world as a, as a leader of the Baltimore clan, you know, saying oh, we're a respectable organization, but also within the Baltimore clan, he puts on a facade of control. But then in private, when he's, when he's with someone, he can, it's, it's interesting, he's going to get into it. He could trust, but also not trust at the same time. Then he lets go and he really allows himself release. Yeah. Yeah. And again, like Tora is just completely like I could, I, you know, obviously we don't know what his voice would sound like, but I could see it being very even toned, very matter of fact in this moment. He's like, I said, I haven't heard anything about the notebook. You know, it, if you don't trust me, ha- get Martin to find it for you. You know, now he's, he's okay with that. I think because at least up to this point, he doesn't think Poppy has anything to do with the notebook or has it. Right. Um, and right. now he can release that worry. Right. And then he says something, which is, you know, to me, it's kind of like taunting Vincent. He says, I'm just the muscle around here. So what do I know? And he's like right. that because he knows what Vincent's going to say next, which is Vincent. First of all, he looks, this is a panel of him just, just sulking, being all huffy puffy. Yeah. You know, like yep. he said, here edition, frowning, the club is still in his hand. And then he gets mm-hmm. nervous. You see his hand like shakes a little bit and he adjusts his hair and he says, of course I trust you. And then he flips this, then he flips his behavior and suddenly he realizes, okay, I got to be nice to Tora. And he says, come on over, have a seat. We haven't had a chat in a while. Wow. That's right. manipulation over here. Yeah. No kidding. Like he just flips a switch like it's nothing. Um and I think the only reason he did that was because he's, we all know, I think at this point that he's going to request Tora to do something. And so he has to put the facade back on, or at least he thinks he does in order to get Tora to do something. And and we're going to see a lot of power plays that happen next. Um, but again, he's like, he's inching his way in, like trying to be endearing, like, hey, let's casually have a chat. How have you been kind of thing? Um, and you're more than brain. You've got more brain cells uh, than Martin and his clowns put together. Why do you think I keep you so close to me? Um, and what's really interesting is that Tora's like, cut the crap. Like, you're not like you're not telling the truth. You contradicted yourself. And it took me a little bit to figure out what he meant here. Me too. Um, and it, it, I had to go back and read it a couple of times, but to, to Vincent, I, or to Tora, I think Vincent keeps him around as the muscle because he knows so many people are afraid of Tora because Tora has a, has a reputation. Um, and you keep, you, you would keep something like that close to you, someone like that close to you so that you don't, so, so that other people leave you alone. Because, you know, when you're a leader, sure you have power, but that power can be taken away very quickly. 
um, if you're not careful. And so I think that's another reason he keeps Torah close. Did, did you have any other ideas on that? I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I actually thought that he says um, the Torah thinks that Torah, um, Vincent doesn't trust him. And that's why he's that's why he keeps him close. I'm surprised that he said that. Ah. Meaning, you know, why do I keep you so close by? I have an idea contradicting what you just said. Vincent just said he trusts him. And Torah is thinking, you actually don't trust me. That's why you keep me so close. That's a good point. Yeah. It's closer kind of thing. Yeah. And then also you see like Vincent's manipulation when he tells him, oh, come on over, have a chat. He drops the, he drops the club. He's like, okay, violent time over. Mm -hmm. I mean, time to be nice now. And he sits back down. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how Torah, like he still keeps his distance here. Like he doesn't sit in the chair next to, to Vincent, you know, like you would with a fatherly figure. Um, and he's, I love the, the blatant disrespect that he's showing to Vincent here. He's got his feet kicked up on a table. He's smoking. Like I half expected him to just um, put out the cigarette in the actual couch cushion. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Right. Um, you know what's interesting is like Torah has contradictory body language because on the one hand, he stretches his feet on, a, on the table, which you know, usually people do when they're comfortable, but you're right. He's right. as like a power play to be disrespectful, but everything is closed about him. His legs are crossed. His arms are crossed. So he really is feeling mm-hmm. that he's uncomfortable, but he's putting his feet out on purpose deliberately to pretend that he's comfortable and secure and confident. Right. And I mean, the look on his face says everything. Like he's just glaring at Vincent the whole time. Um, you know, so the, again, like you were saying, this is definitely a power play for him. Right. And actually in the next panel, he does open up um, his arms and lays them out on the couch, which to me is more power play. I'm comfortable. But he has to work on it, though. It took, it took him a second to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't blame him. He, pro- he probably had to wait for Vincent to cool off because um, you don't you don't want to. He doesn't want to be in the middle of that, I'm sure. Um, the violent piece. But um, and then, of course, like, again, Vincent with the manipulation the attaboy um so like they have this understanding like they they put on this this face in front of everyone but i think they get each other on some level Hmm. um he says you know exactly what i'm talking about don't you you don't he's like you're you're pure straight talk you don't bs me so actually Um, what do you you think what do you think he thinks he was talking about i wasn't sure about this I think that they're talking past each other. What do you think Vincent's thinking? I mean, he knows that what he's doing is manipulation to a certain extent. And he says, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, we we have this understanding of I'm the owner, you're the dog. And I keep you close because out of necessity and because I've trained you. Um, you understand where you where you are in our organization and and what you are to me. Mm-hmm. This is basically mm-hmm. him reaffirming, and, and we see later on when he's talking about like why do people think that you're this son I had in secret because he keeps him so close. Um, and then Vincent brings up for the first time about keeping the bloodlines pure. Um, you know, so part of me part of me says this is him reaffirming that. You think you're part of this family, but you're not. And and Torah obviously has this understanding now that, 
you know, after all of these years, those manipulation tactics, I don't think work in the same way. Right. But that's kind of how I, I looked at it. Right. And <laughs> like in a way reminding himself again because the way the way I read it was that Torah says you know you don't trust me and Vincent is, just goes over his head because he's so he thinks that everyone is there to serve him he can't even contemplate mm-hmm. that Torah doesn't feel the same way about him again narcissist yeah yeah well and and he, I'm sure there's part of him that thinks that you know but I I just have to wonder if over the years that they haven't come to some mutual understanding of how these things work. I mean, of course there's still that, that private side of Vincent where, and, and we see this a little bit later on on how he judges Torah. Um, but they, they have to be on some level playing field with this um, simply because he, you know, we see later on that the Vincent makes a request in everything but word and he's surprised that Torah agrees to it, but I'll pause on that until we get to that piece. Right. Um, but you know, and, and I know a lot of people were, uh, wondering, you know, if he, if Torah was a secret son of Vincent, because I know that that was a tinfoil theory for a really long time. And, uh, to me, it was just this line about keeping the bloodline pure was, was Lily's way of saying like, uh, no, (laughs) this, this is not part of that story. I mean, she could she could still pull the rug out from underneath us. She's been known to do that, but mm-hmm. I I don't see Vincent because he's so narcissistic treating his actual son in that way, mm-hmm. even if he was even if he was an illegitimate son. Um, I mean, granted, we don't know how he treats Quincy, but we do know that he puts Quincy on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. I mean, Quincy mm-hmm. obviously doesn't want for anything, right. um, and I right. just. You know, because because his son is an extension of himself, I can't see Vincent doing that to someone who is also his son. Right. And I'm kind of curious. He said, I would love to. What does he want to say? I must have love to what, be your father or like be connected to you. Like, what, what do you think he was going to say? I, I think he wanted to because we know Quincy's not cut out for for the clan life. I mean, that's pretty readily apparent and he can't be blind to that. Vincent cannot be blind to that at all. Um, and so I think part of him is saying like, much as I would love to claim you as a son, mm. because he's, he thinks Torah is this violent and ruthless person that he's raised him to be when he doesn't really know Torah's internal experience. He thinks that he's more cut out to do the work of the clan later. Right. Uh, and I think that's why Torah cuts him off here. Like, no, no, we're not having this conversation. Right. And I think he also wants to um, get to action to distract him away from the notebook. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the point I'm leaving. Oh, what sure. answer if it's not the notebook? Meaning he wants to right. like, forget the notebook. What What was the other thing you had planned? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's trying to, again, pivot the conversation away from Poppy and from his involvement. Um and then he says, you know, it's partially about the notebook, but what do you know about it and know about what's happened? And Tora's like, I don't freaking know. <laughs> and he's like, they've made me a laughing stock. And so it cracked me up because we're finding out that, again, this is, this is classic narcissism behavior. He is more concerned that his image has been tarnished because of this yacht explosion 
and because of these restaurants being infested with with rodents like to me i you know if if i was a money hungry person which i think a lot of people in clans are you know having you know 11 of your major shareholders pull out because of an explosion you'd think he'd be more worried about the money but he's actually worried about how it makes it look right yeah it's um you know like the kind of a person who is so obsessed with himself that he can't see reason and he can't be practical. I think that also that will be mm-hmm. his own downfall. When you get to the point where you're so irrational and emotional that you can't operate functionally, right. you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and destroy yourself. Yep. And and that's ultimately what happens to these types of people because they, they, they're, they're so invested in their own egos that they don't see beyond themselves and where the weakness might lie because admitting weakness just isn't in their wheelhouse at all. Um, and, you know, of course he had, you know, Vincent attributes all of this to the, <coughs> excuse me, to the nine daggers scum, um, thinking that it's revenge for Goliath going missing. Right. And he's there. And, you know, to me, like my a little younger than Torah at least. And we know that Torah is 26 and mm-hmm. he's already a general. That's pretty, pretty high up there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was one of the things that caught me too. I was like, wow, he's, he's already moved his way up the ranks. Cause I mean, if, if you look at that um, clan ranks versus military ranks, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. And at, at Goliath's age, like if he was in the military, you would not be a general at that age. Like no way, no how. So that is really surprising. Yeah, me too. I was wondering if like, the Nightingers is like um, a youthful clan, but I don't get that impression. But yeah, it's so, I mean, Goliath probably has some very um, compelling attributes to him that I hope we'll be acquainted with. There, there are a lot of people who are uh, MPL fans who are dying to get some more Goliath <laughs> action. Yes, myself included. I want to know more. <laughs> just throwing that out into the universe, Lily. Just, just putting that out there. um and and then he starts talking vincent starts talking about he thinks that the the notebook was a red herring um which i think to some extent we know that it's not because we've seen pages out of it that it's got names of high-ranking officials that are associated with the clan but of course Mm -hmm. we know that vincent doesn't know this right Um, and you know i think tora likes the fact that he's thinking that this is a red herring and you know he um, he starts saying, assuming the notebook, Vincent, assuming the notebook does exist, and then right away Tori interrupts him, names, and Vincent stops. Yeah, he's pouring himself some more alcohol, and he he looks a little surprised. And Tora is um, he's um, what's the word? I'm using a different word, lushing the cigarette out, but that's that's a Yiddish word. Um, extinguishing. Yeah, stopping it out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> And that's what happens when you speak a lot of languages. Sometimes the word pops in in another one. So yep, he's extinguishing. The, I feel you on that. Yeah. <laughs> what else? What else do you speak? Um, I speak a little bit of Spanish. Um, not enough to be like completely fluent, but I grew up in New Mexico, so um, the Spanglish kind of uh, enters my repertoire every now and again. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, so I grew up with, oh, yeah. Italy, so I grew up with Hebrew, and then everyone around me spoke Yiddish, and so I know Yiddish, and then my husband's Dutch, so it's a bit of Dutch, and I learned French in high school, and a little bit of Russian in high school, so a whole bunch of stuff. 
Oh, wow. You're rather worldly. <laughs> I love languages. It's uh, something I just really enjoy. Anywho. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, Tora- so now he's, he's, oh, go ahead. Uh, you go ahead. Um, I just, I found it really interesting that he's like questioning, Vincent is questioning if the notebook exists. And Tora is finding this as a way to segue the conversation of like, okay, you go ahead and believe that it doesn't really exist. Let's change the the narrative here. Let's change the conversation. And so he cuts to the chase with what he knows Vincent is asking him for. Um, and he says names. And knowing what we know about the sniper piece, I was like, oh, okay. He's asking for a kill list. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like you were saying, Vincent is really surprised here. He's, he's not expecting this conversation so soon. Um, but I also like one of the power plays here that happens. He says, give me a list, no more than five. So I think this is a way for Torah to have some control in something that he knows he's going to have to do anyway. So because typically the first person to start negotiations loses. But I think here it works for Torah because on some level, Vincent already started the negotiation by calling Torah in. Right. And so Torah already right. knows what he's going to ask him. Um, and so he can set the parameters of, okay, you want me to do this? Fine. I'll do it. But you give me, you give me no more than five names. Right, and Vincent doesn't right. really contradict him. He he doesn't start by negotiating back. He's like he's shocked and like you're so you're agreeing to it, which I was surprised. Like, yeah. aren't you the one, Vincent? Like to me, that shows that maybe Vincent doesn't feel he has as much control over Torah as he claims he does. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like the first time you see him actually question anything or or like surprised looks on Vincent's face, that's not something you expect at all. Um. And then this glare that Tora gives him, I was like, whoo, man, if eyes could throw daggers, that man would be dead. Um, he's just like, no, let's, let's stop having this conversation. Give me the names. Let's be done with it. Um, and, and again, I think this is another power play with Tora. Right. To me, the way I looked at it was, especially because of the way Vincent reacts, Vincent, he starts like, sweating and he says that little freak and i think that torah does that to he shows him that impassive side as though killing is nothing to him and he has no regard to human life and as though he actually enjoys it that look to me yeah that says and again vincent falls for it torah is an excellent actor Mm -hmm. he is an excellent manipulator he wants vincent to be afraid of him and he wants him to think that he doesn't care and he has no emotions because someone like that can crush you vincent (laughs) Right, right. And so he's he's kind of, again, playing the game that plays him. Um, he, he knows what to expect with, with Vincent. And so he can actually use that same manipulation tactic against him. That's a really good point. Um, and what what's interesting to me, I'm wondering if this dark, deadly aura, if this is a little bit more of that supernatural aspect that Lily likes to kind of sprinkle into her narrative. Um, and I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering if that's what we have here. Cause he's like, it just gets stronger as he gets older. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, do we, do we have something going on here underneath the surface? Like I'm, I'm totally backtracking to Shura's bride mm. and the Okori, uh, Kori Inu. I don't know how to pronounce it, but, um, 
there's this theory that I've had that I'm wondering if because in, in Shura's Bride, one of the things that happens is Ulan, who Torah is a descendant of, he makes peace with the enemy um, by being with Yuwa. Um, and so he loses his supernatural ability to heal uh, through the Okoru, Okoru Inu. And, you know, one of the things that I was kind of like throwing around was I was like, what if they cursed Ulan's lineage? And what if that power has to come back somehow and he has to, you know, Torah has to assert his dominance. He has to take his, quote, rightful place on the throne to make things right. I could be getting to Lord of the Rings with this, but it just it made it kind of like started turning the wheels in my head about that. And like when when Vincent said, you know, this dark, deadly aura of his just gets stronger and stronger as he gets older. I'm like, is this part of, you know, him? ascending and you know taking over in a way yeah it seems reasonable um it's funny because i'm not like a fantasy person myself i used to read a lot of fantasy i'm not really into it these days so i don't i don't tend to see yeah. it but i do think you know given what you just explained about ashura's bride i think that makes a lot of sense that lily would, would could put something like this in yeah um anyway i digress <laughs> but uh but, you know, he, he, we see that Vincent is saying that, like, even though this freaks me out about him, it's worked in my favor. And that's why I chose him all those years ago. Right. And this is something that is, like, really something that brings up a lot of questions for us because he picked this boy from among all the rest all those years ago. How We always wonder, how did Vincent get his hands on Torah? What happened? So right. some kind of, he had a lot of boys to choose from, and he picked him. I don't know what kind of sick situation... Vincent had where he had a bunch of little kids to choose from but right <laughs> it made me think of human trafficking to be perfectly honest um I mean I don't know if that's what's really going on here but I mean either way because you have to wonder if if Torah's parents are alive wouldn't they be searching for him this whole time and if they weren't if they haven't serviced up until this point are they dead you know, um, and and how would you get a child alone like that? I know that there's been some theories that um, Torah is the child of another clan leader, which mm-hmm. I think is plausible. It could happen. Um, but, you know, the Baltimans would have to, like, decimate them and take them out. So I'm wondering if, you know, is that a possibility, too? Like, they just destroyed another clan and took the kids and said we're going to train you to do what we want you to do. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting more, you know, background as the story proceeds, but it's very disturbing. And, you know, you see here that um, Vincent flatters Torah either way, brilliant choice, son, you know, using, praising him, saying, calling him brilliant, calling him a son, appearing to relax Mm -hmm. and smile at him, just, you know, flipping the switch again you know, violence to, to niceness. Yeah. He, um, again, I, I keep saying the word manipulation, but this is definitely manipulation. He goes from saying like, you could never be my son, even though I'd want you to be, but I'm going to call you son. Um, it's just, Oh, it's a lot. Um, yeah. Sick. And we said brilliant choice. Did he really have a choice here? Cause I don't <laughs> think he had, much of that, you know, 
Right. Um, it's again, it's like tricking him and, you know, putting, giving him the veneer of as though he has choice, but he doesn't. Right. Right. And so he's remembering all of this. And we go back to Torah in the bathroom and, you know, he's just, I don't know the, like that look on his face, you know, sure. He's staying calm, but you know, I wonder if, you know, of course we see that he has a reaction in a little bit, but this is like the calm before the storm, yeah. you know? Um, he's just got that, again, that dead focused look on his face as he's reading that text. Right. And that's the, it's the, it's the look that you mentioned before in episode five. It's that dead look that, that when he has to control himself, when he has to remove himself from the situation, when he can't be himself, mm-hmm. when he, ha- when he's right. thrust into duty and when he has to do, perform a role and can't bring mm-hmm. any of his true self to, to his, to his life. Yeah. Goodness. And then we see more manipulation because he goes back like three minutes after his last violent text. Vincent says, you know, call me back, son. I promise not to yell at you. You know, I was just worried about you. I've thought about it and it was a genius move. The clan elders are very pleased. So, of course, he only calms down right after the clan leaders are like, oh, this is good. This is good. We're we're fine with this. You know, so again, it's 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 all about his ego. It's all about his outward appearance. And he was pissed off until he was given the green light that what Torah did was okay. Um, to me, that also showed like a true leader doesn't need to uh, rely on the clan leaders. The fact that he's giving them authority to me means that he doesn't uh, have enough authority to assert for his own. He doesn't trust his own opinion enough to say, I think it was a good move or I think it was a bad move. He's relying on other external out, um, advice. Yeah. So to me, and it also know. makes me wonder, like, who are these clan elders like, and why haven't we seen them? Mm-hmm. I'm very curious. Right. And I actually thought, I also thought that a reason that Vincent flipped like this was he saw that he wasn't getting a reaction out of Torah and Torah wasn't scared of him. And that made Vincent afraid of Torah. And then he was like, okay, I have to calm it down and I have to treat him nicely now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he goes into this, oh, we should have dinner soon. I miss catching up on the good, good old days. And I'm like, what good old days? Know, torture days? Like, sick. <laughs> yeah. Like, you sick bastard. And, and of course, I think at that point, that's where Torah loses it. And he says, go fuck yourself, Vincent. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, yep, saying what everybody else is thinking. Yeah, and I think I'm um, just going back to the text a little bit. Vincent didn't get a reaction, right? He's He sent that text, the last text at 1020. And then, he, you know, 10 minutes later, he doesn't have any reaction from Torah throughout this whole, you know, the whole time. And then he he's like, it's kind of like, you know, like uh, sour grapes. It's like, oh, well, I can't get the grapes, so they must be bad grapes anyway. He's like, well, I can't get Torah to respond to me, so I'll tell him, oh, you must have had a long night. I'll leave you to it now, as though he's as though yeah. he has control because he can't yeah. get Torah to react to him. So he's like, oh, I'll let you go. Bye. As though he's right. the one telling him, oh, don't respond to me now. Oh, yeah, that's such a good point. Like, I'm I'm allowing you to take a break. <laughs> yeah, and because he lost that's... control, he has to, you know, have it see, seem as though he has control. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Oh, man. Yeah. And God, he, um... the... Can you imagine growing up your entire life around a man like that? Ugh. Right. And this is where, you know, what the, the Torah's words here to me, um, I'm very proud of him for saying that because when you grow up with someone like that, like your father figure, there can be so many complicated yeah. emotions and ambivalencies about, about that kind of person. But Torah here shows he knows that Vincent is a piece of, you know what, 
and he yeah. go f yourself Vincent and then and I'm so proud of him for for understanding and for coming to terms and knowing and putting a name to to Vincent and how he's a bad person yeah yeah absolutely and I think I think a lot of that you know obviously at this point we know about Alice and we know about Joe and I I really feel like you know there's that one line when Shing Ma was again at the strip club talking to Claude and he says, you know, it's a wonder that he's still sane. And I've always thought that the reason why Tora hasn't completely gone off the deep end is because he had, you know, genuine people in his corner, like Alice and Joe. I mean, we've seen how caring and, and how they didn't react to his own violence in the past. And, you know, they, they were more caring. And, you know, even if it's something like, hey, here's some money, go get your jaw fixed or like calm the fuck down. Like we can get through this. I just, I, I hope that we get to see more of those interactions because to me it speaks why speaks to why Tora is so level headed and why he hasn't again, like completely gone off the deep end. Right. And I think a lot right. of it's just inner resiliency. Some kids are more resilient than others. And I think he must've had extraordinary emotional, like um, intelligent abilities to even be at this place. Right. But anyway, this next panel is probably one of my favorite panels in the whole cartoon where he finally, Mm -hmm. finally releases that anger inside of him. And he like pulls back. There's a lot of motion in this. It looks like he's about to punch his wrist into the wall. And to me, that's Mm -hmm. sad because he really wants to punch Vincent and he wants to punch other people, but he can't. He can only cause harm to himself by punching the wall. He's just going to hurt himself. But that's the only thing he can do. And, you know, there was, there was part of me, like, obviously he's, he's having a very emotional experience right here and he's very upset and very angry, but I also think he's a sniper. And if your trigger hand is broken, (laughs) oh, what a pity, you know, like you don't, you're not going to be pulled into duty anytime soon because when you're a sniper, because you have to do things with such precision, everything matters. How you breathe when you shoot a gun, how you, your stance when you shoot, all of that matters. And if you have broken fingers, you're not going to be able to shoot. And so part of me also wonders if, you know, he's like, fine, you, this is how you want me. Let me take that away from you. Mm. You know, but he stops dead short because we see that he's still got the strawberry hair tie on his wrist as like this reminder of his wake up call of like, this is why you did this. So to me, that was that moment. That was the moment I knew like he did this job for Poppy. Mm -hmm. He did this to keep her safe, even though he's very upset that he had to do it, that he was put in this position of having to do it. He did it for her. Right. And I think also, you know, it stopped him. I didn't, it's not, I didn't even see that so much as I did it for her, but that definitely is true. Uh-huh. I saw that like he stopped, he stopped himself from hurting himself because of her yeah. and because he realized, you know, maybe there is something to live for, something positive, something mm-hmm. good that I can have in my life, even if it's, you know, he know we, we all know he doesn't think it can be long term. Right. Right. That's such a good point. And like, he still touches, but he, he doesn't like smash his fist into it. Cause I'm like, Oh, you could get some nasty injuries from that. Um, 
but he doesn't and he just stops and like you see him clench his fist and the strawberry drops and you know he's just looking at it and you know before we saw the dead look in his eyes like you can tell and this is where lily is so good at micro expressions like his eyes soften i don't know how she did it but his eyes soften in that moment right when he's looking at that strawberry hair tie yeah he goes from and i'm like wow yeah previously last panel he's extremely angry you know his eyes are eyebrows are furrowed and his mouth is open in this grimace and here he's just like mouth is open kind of like and he's huffing like an emotional release Mm -hmm. but yeah you're right his eyes are softened and he's more contemplative yeah and so actually it would be a point to talk about um what is Torah's need and I was mentioning this to you before the before we started recording but in terms Mm -hmm. of story development every character has to have their need like what is the thing that drives them what is their absolute underpinning motivation and I came up with what I thought was the motivation for Torah and for Poppy. I'm curious to hear what yours are as well. I mean, when I think right off the bat with Torah, I, I get this overwhelming sense and need to feel like he belongs somewhere to to where he, like, to like obviously he belongs to the clan and, and he has people in his life in the clan that, that he's close to but I don't think he's ever truly felt part of a family and, and felt like he could really connect with anyone on an emotional level. And I think that's what really draws him to Poppy um, because she just, she doesn't treat him like other people do. And she sees the side of him that other people don't. Um, And I think he has an intense need to feel loved and to experience actual genuine love. Um, and so for me, I think that's part of his motivations. Um, Poppy, she's, she's a little harder to dig into because she has these, I mean, she has a, a, a village of people around her. She has people that care about her, but I, I do wonder if, even though she's got all these people around her is if she doesn't feel a little bit alone in some ways. I mean, we know she's lost I mean, she's essentially lost both of her parents because we don't know what happened to mom. We know that her father is deceased. Mm-hmm. She has her granny, but now she's living in the city on her own. Um, and she deals with a lot of problems alone. She doesn't really like even Erdine had said to her one time, like, why do you try to deal with this all on your own? Like, talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like she's not used to doing that. And again, I, I feel like Maybe for her that that having that genuine connection is also a driver for her. Um, well, what are your thoughts? I'm curious. Yeah. So my first thought with Toro, you said that he he needs to be loved. But then I think that what actually before his need to be loved is his need for autonomy, because he right yeah. now is controlled and his whole life has been controlled. And I think that what he wants first is autonomy and the ability to live his life as he wants, which includes establishing a relationship yeah. with Poppy. And that's the major thing now that he right. wants and they can have. And yeah, that's a really good Poppy, Yeah, so for Poppy, I was thinking actually that it's the need to be successful. And I think that she's mm-hmm. very, she lacks confidence in herself and she feels like she's moved to the city and she started this new job and she's worried about money and she wants to, you know, 
succeed with a contract with Mr. Lamb. I think her, I think mm-hmm. her driving need is like to, to be successful. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah. Kinda, it's, I'm not she, sure about that. But that's what I think. Well, and I, I think that definitely is, is a huge piece at play. Um, simply because we know that she already feels insecure about her role there. She's like, I'm inexperienced. Gil took a, a chance on me as a new grad. Cause I'm thinking back to that conversation that she had with Erdine and, mm-hmm. you know, Erdine's just like, what are you talking about? He's lucky to have a loyal employee like you. He's lucky to, you know, have somebody who would go to bat and be this uh, persevering, you know, um, insistent person. She, Cause I mean, Poppy just, goes after things with just this incredible tenacity. She's very driven. So I, I don't think you're wrong there. What are her actions show? What does she most care about? And I think that, you know, her actions show her perseverance with Mr. Lamb and the painting and, um, you know, going after him in Aristry. I think to me that shows that her, her real her drive, her need to be successful and to succeed right. in the new city life that she's chosen. Right. She's um, in, in, like you said, she's really unsure of herself in a lot of ways. And one of the things I love about the dynamic between Tora and Poppy is that when she's like kicking herself while she's down, Tora is like, what are you doing that for? You know, um, the, I, I think back to when they had that dinner at her house and she's trying to get him to not send the picture of the little bento box she made for him because she's afraid that he's going to get made fun of. He's like, well, let him try. You know, like he, he unabashedly shows how much he cares about it and, and that he's proud of it. And she's just stunned that he would be. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, part of that, part of this piece where, you know, he's lifting her up, um, you know, like we talked about in episode five that, you know, sure poppy is is rescuing him in a lot of ways but he's rescuing her too so it's they need each other they ha- they have this dynamic where you know i'll pick you up when you're down kind of thing and i mean that's that's just the score you know the underscore of a really healthy relationship or at least the potential for one because you go to bat for each other you have each other's backs and you know you're not going to let that other person kick themselves while they're down yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's beautiful. yeah. And I think that's a good place to, to end the episode with the hopes of their healthy relationship. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I know we've got a ways to go, but um, I mean, I, I see so much of that in, in everything and I can't wait to see where Lily takes this. So it's just really exciting. Yeah. Um, but thank you for having me today. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks Patty. Yeah. It is. It's wonderful. I love, love dissecting all this. Just love it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much. I'll talk to you later. No problem. Sounds good. Bye. Okay, bye.